Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. I'm your host, Brian, and joining me again, we have Ryan and Kenny. Hey, we're back. Hey, we're back. Let's talk about ourselves. That's right. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about you guys, but also in, in a context. And the context that I want to dive into tonight, as people might be sipping this, purchasing, purchasing it on the shelf, debating purchasing it on the shelf, I wanted to talk about Pursuit United Rye. There is no debate first. There is no debate. No debate. Go get, go get your bottle. Go get a bottle of rye. Pop it open. Take a quick second, put pause right here. We have no nothing important for the next 10 <laughs> seconds, and then come back and, you, and join us for this episode. But what I want to do is I want to talk. Well, first, let's just start, let's just start off with the history of, of moving from a rye product. You know, we've had some of the past episodes that we've talked about a multitude of things, but mainly we've talked about the bourbon, the bourbon products. Some of the source whiskeys have kind of gone either way. Yeah, let's talk about this uh, Pursuit United Rye. And the history from there, and then we'll kind of move into some other things with it. Yeah, I think uh, it's one of those things. You know, we everybody kind of starts off as a whiskey company, and then you're like, all right, well, I guess we could throw some rye in there because everybody has a little bit of rye in their portfolio. Because if you don't have a label that has some green on it, or even a whiskey company, right? But really, yeah. it was it was kind of those. It was actually one of those things where we we had kind of figured out the bourbon. We got that off the ground. And we like rye whiskey. It's we like actually we like a lot of different whiskeys. And we had put out a few different rye whiskeys as a part of pursuit series and single barrels and stuff like that. And it just kind of seemed like a natural progression to figure out, okay, well what's what does a rye product look like? And I'll kind of let Ryan tell a little bit of the story behind it and kind of how we found the right partners and stuff. But really the the idea of the rye was to start Figuring out figuring out a flavor profile and figuring out something that really followed in the footsteps of what you had with United and the United Bourbon. Basically trying to figure out how do we marry different components and how do we create something that's a bespoke blend that really speaks to us or really speaks to our type of audience. And we just knew from the very beginning that, to be quite bluntly, we didn't want MGP. That was as fair as it was. I mean, I think that was one of the first conversations we had going into it. We said, what can we do? What can we be different? Well, what does everybody else do? All right, everybody else does 95.5 MGP. Let's not do that, and let's make this a little bit harder on ourselves. And yeah. that was that was kind of like the genesis of, of kind of where the, the ride just began. I'll let Ryan kind of take over from there, though. Yeah, I mean, we had released a few, you know, ride episodes, and actually I think one of the most sought-after episodes is uh episode 18 which is a rye single barrel from finger lakes and we had become huge fans of finger lakes rye whiskey and so it, initially we were like hey let's try to do a rye too with finger lakes you know it'd be cool to do you know maybe a new york baltimore kentucky rye but the finger lakes is so damn unique that like when you start blending it with other distillates and it just didn't it, it needs to be a standalone offer. And so it was like, okay, we have this concept. We thought it'd be cool to do New York, Baltimore or something, New York, Kentucky, because those are the, you know, founding states for rye whiskey. And so we kind of went on this path, you know, and BBC had just came out with a couple, you know, rye releases from people they were doing contract distilling with. And, you know, they were actually pretty good. And so uh, I, I, we took that BBC rye distillate and we we're like, 
and we were talking to our broker. And we're like, we really want to do a rye, but we don't want to do just a Kentucky rye. We don't want to do just a New York rye. We want to, you know, really do this united. This is our model. And then we're like, do you have anyone else that can? And they were like, well, have you talked to Sagamore? And we're like, no, but I know somebody at Sagamore <laughs> because uh, I had done an event with the Dallas Bourbon Club and I'd met uh, Tim and Brian Lowe from Dallas Bourbon Club introduced me to uh, some Sagamore team members. And so I was like, you know what? I'm a, when I have an idea, I'm like impulsive. I, I literally got off the phone with Susie and Kenny that day and I said, I called up Brian. I was like, hey, I need your Sagamore contacts. I want to talk to him about the rye whiskey. So I contact him and he's like, ah, you know, that's a little pretty cool, but <laughs> but I'll present it to our CEO and you know whatnot. And, and if anyone knows about Sagamore, they they were started by uh, Kevin Plank, who is the C or the founder of Under Armour. He's from the Baltimore area, had a huge passion for horse racing and rye whiskey, so he started a distillery there. But they had been they'd started their own brand doing MGP contract sourcing, but they had done contract distilling at uh, MGP as well, but they were making their own distillate and it was about to turn three to four years old. So anyways, you know, I didn't think anything was going to come of it, but Brian, the CEO got back to us and was like, Hey, I love you guys. We listen to your podcast. We actually, our whole team listens to it. We use it as training, you know, for, to learn about other brands, what they're doing. And so we're, we're interested. Um, and so that kind of started on us on this path and we're like, how cool Baltimore whiskey, Baltimore rye whiskey. You know, you think of Pikesville, um, you know, some of that, their stories of wild Turkey, you know, sourcing, uh, rye whiskey from Baltimore. Um, there's just a ton of history about rye whiskey and we're like, how cool is it to be, you know, have Baltimore, you know, and Kentucky together once again. And it was funny, Brian Tracy sent us this bottle he had found pre prohibition and it had, on the lid, it had a Kentucky and Baltimore, Maryland, like shaking hands. And it was like, well, this is really cool. We can recreate this, you know, today. So that's kind of what we went this path. And so they started sending us rye samples and, you know, I, they sent me the, the MGP six year MGP. And they sent me at the time, it was like three year of their distillate. And they have two mash bills. They have a 52% rye and then they have a 95.5 rye that they make. And I, those two, three and a half year old barrels, to me were f- way better than the six year MGP. And so I go over to Kenny. I'm like, Kenny, you got to try these, you know, they're, they're incredible. He's like, let me see, you know, he's like, let me be the judge of that. And then <laughs> sure enough, he, he, he tried them and liked them. And so we were like, man, we're onto something here. So uh, that's kind of how it all got started. So it, it was pretty cool that they have two rye mash bills, BBC at a 95, five rye. And so, and their, their rye distillate is just, like really sweet. Um, it's more like bourbony almost, um, but it has like this grape rock candy kind of flavor to it. And so it was a really good base to kind of get us going to be unique from that standard, like MGP 95 or five rye, which is like heavy spearmint pine citrus, you know, type of all the dill, you know, rye whiskey. So that's, uh, that's a long winded answer to, uh, how we got started, but no, it's it's a good answer though because you know to mention also so Brian Tracy, I mean that just doesn't know, so he is the CEO. Is, what's he is he considered the CEO or is he considered yeah. the president? Okay, so he's considered the CEO of Sagamore Spirit, and so I do remember some of those first early conversations because he was like, "Wait a minute, are they competing with us? Are they <laughs> right. are they stealing our stuff and using our name? Like, how does this actually work?" 
So it was, it's one of those things I think that, you know, when we start these brands, we have to have these conversations and it is one of those that we have to be, you know, have to find those partners that are open to the fact that, yes, we are going to be using your whiskey, but at the same exact time, we're going to be paying you for your whiskey and we're also going to do all your marketing because we're going to say, hey, this is where it's coming from. Like, this is what's in the blend. I think that's one of the things that really what we take a pride in is a lot of, I mean, maybe too transparent to a degree is that, you know, we're kind of giving away a little bit of our secret sauce that's inside of here and saying, this is really what comprises this, what makes up our blend. And I, I think that we we kind of tailor to the new whiskey consumer with that because there is this idea that, yes, let's get some more transparency. Like what what's actually in this blend? Uh, what's mash bill is it made up of? The only thing we really don't disclose at that point is what are the percentages of each? Because Again, that's that's our little bit of our secret sauce inside there. But that was again one of those things where having Brian Tracy come on and, and kind of see the vision that we wanted. And it's so awesome that when we got to go up there for the first time and go and visit the distillery, and I think uh, Ryan was hinting at it as well. So they actually triple distill their rye whiskey, and so it goes through a doubler uh, for a second time. So it's actually they got three different tail boxes that you can go and kind of see everything through there, but. They were, they were really awesome. We got to go there and start drilling through barrels and start tasting a lot of stuff and stuff like that too. And I think it's just really cool, as Ryan said earlier, to be able to kind of bring two powerhouses of rye whiskey production. Yeah, granted, it would be cool to have a little Pennsylvania thrown in there, but for the most part, having something that's, you know, Kentucky and Maryland and really starting to bring that, that new flavor profile uh, that had probably, if I had to guess, it's never been discovered. I, I, I would venture to say we're probably one of the first ones that have started to uh, to do this, except for that that whole pre-prohibition thing. But in this new modern era of whiskey, I think we're maybe one of the only ones that have come out with a, a blend that's going to be like this. Yeah, and not, I actually did try to get Pennsylvania, but got turned down because uh, the distilleries I was reaching out to, uh, they uh, just didn't have the capacity and Sagamore has a big ambition. They think they can, they have great products and they they want to cover, you know, they want to, they want rye whiskey to be as big as bourbon, you know, and right now rye whiskey is probably like, I don't know, 15 to 20% of what uh, bourbon is. And so, but, you know, with that, they have, they have the, they have the ability to produce a, a lot of distillate right now. And it's a win-win for both of us because we can help, you know, fund some of that growth for them and they can help take care of us too and give us good whiskey to blend with. So I like hearing when you all say, you know, that the product turned out the way that you like it, but also you, you had mentioned this a little bit with bourbon talking about the products that are available. And then you just mentioned it with Pennsylvania as, you know, that, that you, that you couldn't get your hands on it. So it's kind of serendipitous the way the product shapes itself, you know, when those kind of doors close, but it, that kind of leads me in into the next point. Again, this kind of mainly Ryan focused, I guess, but let you both kind of chime in there, which would be talking about, now I, I want to kind of get inside your your mind a little bit with this, Ryan. You mentioned some of the tasting notes of what you like about um, the recipes that you had from Sagamore, but talk to me a little bit about the process of, of putting together this rye and maybe how they're similar or how they're different to how you put together the bourbon. Yeah, so kind of my philosophy on blending is... So I kind of look for the most, like, I I really like, and I think the public does too, I really like sweetness in all my whiskeys. I do like spice and I do like fruitiness, but I like sweetness 
And I like that to be the base for any blending I'm going to do. Like something that's sweet, not offensive. You know, it's just middle of the road. You know, that's going to be a great base. And then from there, I can add and tweak like, you know, barrels that are more spicy or more fruit forward or charcoal or smoky or this or that. And that's kind of how I approached it with this, this rye that's the, the 52% had this just like beautiful decadent sweetness of brown sugar, or grape candy, but it also had like these subtle, like citrusy notes and, uh, some fruit notes, but then you add in the, the, the two rise, um, in there and it gives you some of those nice herbal notes you get with rye, but they were just nice and subtle. And so, and then the BBC one kind of had like this honey, like almost honey scram sweetness to it. So it, it kind of added a, a little bit more depth to the sweetness from the grape rock candy. So that's kind of how I approached this. To be fair, the, these were three great distillate products, so it made it a much more easy. The, the raw whiskey is much better at a younger age than bourbon is, so there wasn't too many flaws, you know, younger bourbon has with, you know, some grainy and young notes. United bourbon was a lot harder for me to, you know, kind of figure out and navigate. And maybe I could say this was easier because I had experience with the United bourbon spending a year on that, but the ride did not take me quite as long to dial in. And I I think it turned out better than even we anticipated when I made the initial blends. Uh, it, It turned out really good when we went to bottle. You know, because we were going to call Ryan a one-hit wonder if he couldn't pull this off. That's why. <laughs> yeah. And I had a lot of pressure on me. No. <laughs> the whole future of the business is riding on you, buddy. Get on out yeah. there. Make us proud. <laughs> exactly. Don't screw it up. And and it was hard to screw up because these were three great um, rye whiskeys. It, it made it very a lot easier on us. And it and two, it worked out uh, at 108 proof. It was like perfectly balanced too, like the same as the bourbon. Yeah, I guess that is true. We always want to keep it like 108. For some reason, it just feels like the sweet spot for us. But I also want to make sure that Ryan gets the praise that he deserves because, you know, when you're blending younger whiskeys, it's it's a lot harder than what you think it is because you have subtle nuances and one can just throw off the batch entirely. If you're blending 8, 10, 12, 15-year-old whiskeys, it's not as hard. I guarantee it. And so that's just one of those things that you, you have to be able to understand, you know, how to, how to pick out a little bit, like if there's a little bit of youth note in there, like how does that balance off with something else? And so Ryan's been able to figure that out and, and figure out exactly what components are going to put a little bit more oak forward, a little more fruit forward, a little more sweeter on the balance side. And so I, like I said, I always want to give him a little nod to that because he has always outdone himself when it comes to it. Yeah, and it, maybe I'm a little too humble, but it it is like just understanding, and it's taken me a long time to figure it out, and maybe now it's just second nature, but understanding like what flavor profiles and barrels, like hints of this and that will do to a blend um, and understanding how it can change, you know, one way or the other, um, That that that's really, and it takes, you know, a lot of time and a lot of effort to, to kind of figure that out and build on you know, you build on layers, on layers, on layers, you know, to get to the, to the final product. Kenny, how do you, um, what do you like most about this specific product? I know, you know, some of the notes that he was looking for as it comes to the blend, how do you interact with it? You know, what kind of things are you looking for? Or do you also like the kind of 
crowd pleasing, sweet things, or, or you know, what what do you look for? So how and how does that affect how you experience this product? I mean, I think we we really set off to what we wanted to achieve at the very beginning, and that was something that is not your typical MGP ninety five five, because that's when you get those dill flavors, the spearmint, and and everything like that. This is, in my opinion a lot more of a bourbon drinkers kind of rye because you get a little more oak balance because that 52% corn or sorry, 50%, 52% rye mash bill, that is really where you get a little bit more of that, that bourbon like influence into it because you're able to bring in more of that, that sweet corn forward kind of aspect into it, which in my opinion is something that you don't see a lot in the rye category. And, you know, I think, one of the things we were talking before we started here is like, you know, like where do you lean when you talk about like rye flavors and what you've liked? I can tell you exactly uh, two of the best rye whiskeys that I've ever had that I love is of course Booker's Rye and Kentucky Owl Batch Number Two Rye. Like those are amazing ryes in my opinion. I think they're my favorite. And to be and honest, good chance they're the same distillate. But <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's true, right? But I mean, when you when you think about it, they're both Kentucky rise, and they're not going to be. Uh, actually, I can't tell you exactly what the mash bill is, but there's definitely a little bit more of that corn forward kind of sweeter taste that that comes in there that you would probably suspect it could be a bourbon. And so that's why I'm a I'm a bigger fan of of what we created in this, and that's that's where I feel that. If you're a bourbon drinker and you're just like, I don't know, I don't know about rye, I don't know if I want to go there. Like, just give this one a try because I, I think that I think you'll find out that you know, it's not going to be like your your typical MGP. I, I think you're going to have a, a little bit closer relation to things like maybe even Pikesville and stuff like that as well. For folks who who are familiar with either the videos that I do or or me talking about whiskey or you know talking about breaking down some of the products you know on this podcast and whatnot, you know I like to talk about flavors. So one thing I, I find interesting especially with what you just said about the Kentucky Owl product with Booker's Rye, there's something about this. Yeah, I get that kind of corn or brown sugar kind of sweetness that leaves the front of the sips, but after you've chewed on it a little bit, after it like is lingering in the palate, there's this um, kind of earthy, like interesting quality that I feel like you only find in say a Kentucky Owl, say uh, a Saz 18, say, uh, you know, some of these products that are, much hey, older. Oh, we'll take it. No. Then what's in here? No, it's but it, you know, it, it's interesting because I think you've probably seen. Aside from what I've said, I think other people have probably said it too. That they thought that the United Bourbon had some kind of funky, some kind of you know interesting characteristics to it. I'm not going to have you reveal your secrets, but is that you know do do you pick up on either of those characteristics in these two products, and is that intentional? Is that like Oh man, I love Dusty's, and it's kind of an ode to a Dusty to put something funky in there. Or you knew it. We, were gonna, it. we were just going to make Sazerac 18 in our own our own bottle. That's what we were. Really I mean, I'm just I'm just curious as a through line, and then specifically when when you're looking for a rye that has those flavors, it's hard to point somebody to a product that has that. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe uh, the Shelfer Mictors to an extent kind of has a little bit of that flavor, but you know when you want to try again, like you've mentioned with the MGP, you want to kind of get away from this ginger, lemon oil, um, very strong, sharp, minty flavors and experience a different way to experience rye forward spirits. You know, it's nice to have something like this where it's like, oh, wow, this has interesting layers. It has things that it's sweet like a bourbon. And then it starts to unfold into more traditional rye flavors. But then it lingers with something that you just don't find all that often. But I just didn't know if that those kind of 
little subtle, kind of funky, kind of nod to to old timey whiskeys. If that's an intentional note, if that's something that I'm just making up while we're talking. I don't know if it was intentional, but it's definitely flavor profiles that we both like. And two, with both of these offerings, um, I, that's that was our goal. We wanted something different. Like there's a lot of great whiskeys out there, but they're also very one dimensional. You know, they're either like super rye forward or super sweet or super spicy or super fruity or super. I wanted like subtlety, you know, or super oaky, you know, or you get like toasted barrels, which are like so sweet and, you know, and those are fine, you know, and those are good, but I wanted both of these products to have like subtle nuances and they change like every time you drink them, it's like an experience every time you, you have them. And that, and then that was the goal. I, I don't know. I would love to be able to recreate Oh Granddad, you know, eighty three or something, but or or uh, you know, Saz eighteen. But um, yeah, we I, I just needed, lo- we need our own yeast strain to figure that one out, buddy. I think we're gonna be go far away. But I just I love flavors and I love different. You know, when you go to like when you go to do a barrel pick and you you know say you're going to Knob Creek, I'm going to pick the most anti Knob Creek barrel out there. It's that's just you know how my mind thinks, and so I think. With both of these, I just like the different flavors that they offer. Yeah. And I think it's just one of those things that I think we're, we got lucky as well because it's so weird, Brian. I think it's really weird that every rye that you see, or should I say most ryes, are all 95.5. Why is that? Well, I don't know why all of a sudden everybody just said, oh, we're just 95%, 5%. Larry Ebersol. Larry Ebersol, he, he kind of put that stake in the ground. You know, Canadian rye, a lot of that's all 100% now because they have a particular kind of rye that grows really well over there. But it is just one of those things that I think it was just it kind of happened chance and, and, and got lucky because, yes, we were able to get our, our typical 95.5 that we got from Barstown Bourbon Company, A, because that is some of the H stock that they already had available that they could sell us that we could we could make to this blend. If we had the opportunity, would we say, oh, let's go and do our own uh, 62% right? I don't know. One of the things that I don't like to do is I don't like to take a bunch of risks like that because I'm not going to know what it's going to taste like for the next three years. So if they already have a product that's four years old or three years old and it tastes fantastic with their 95.5, well, let's go ahead. Let's That seems to be a recipe to work. But then when we're able to get hooked in with Sagamore, and of course, they had their 95.5, but they also had that 52%. I felt, okay, cool. Like We've got some good variability here. We, we can create a blend that is going to be unlike anything else that's on the market. And you're not going to be able to find something that's that's like this because this is not something where you can say, oh, okay, yeah, cool. We do MGP, but we got we got this particular run of MGP barrels. They're, they're so cherry. They're so, it's like, it's not like, it's not like that. Like we get to create something that is going to be completely different, completely off the radar that most people that are maybe even whiskey geeks in the whiskey world, uh, they, I hope that they find interesting because it is not the same exact thing. It is something completely different and it's not going to be, in, in my opinion, it's not a, like a punch in the mouth kind of rye spice, anything like that. I mean, it's, it's gentle, it's welcoming. It's, it's nothing that you're going to sit there and uh, have to choke down either. Cause I felt like even at 108 proof, heck, I think we might've been able to gone to 115 proof on this bad boy. Yeah. After having, it, I was like, man, maybe we should have bumped it up a little bit. Cause it's like, so, approachable at 108 it's like dangerously delicious i call them or guzzlers yeah it's it's fun and 
we got lucky that Sagamore was doing something cool and we could piggyback off what they're doing. And, you know, moving forward, we have these three awesome, dis- and the Sagamore 95.5 rye is completely different from the Barstown Bourbon 95 rye. It's, it's wild. If you taste them together, it's, they're so far contrast. It's, it's unbelievable. And so we have these three components that we can, we want to keep it consistent, but we can also play, you know, moving forward with each batch and make something completely different each, each time. So it's fun. Yeah, we're going to have that. And plus we've got, you know, a bunch of barrels that we have purchased from BBC that ended up having to come from a few different lots. And some of these lots actually have different barrel types. So we have some ISCs, we have some Kelvins. So we will eventually see what this looks like over time. I think that's the cool part is that, you know, as we start putting batch numbers on all these, we'll be able to create something that is is close. We want to try to align it and, and make sure it is as close, as consistent as we can. But we all know bourbon. We all know one barrel that's sitting next to each other in a rickhouse for 10 years is not going to taste the same as the one that's sitting right next to it. So I can guarantee you, you're going to have some, some small variability uh, going forward, but we're looking forward to it. And we're looking forward to being able to uh, honestly taste through a lot of these barrels and, and kind of find that, that next great blend out of there for it too. When you guys were talking about the bourbon, you were talking about how at a certain time that the age statement's going to, or maybe not age statement, but the ages of the products should should do a little jump. Do you guys have anything like that kind of set to, to step up when it comes to the rye? Or is that going to be something that isn't going to make a an age jump the same way the bourbon does? It will make an age jump. And, and that's because to be able to get this out of the door on year one, if you read on the back label, you know, it's technically, it says on the back, it has, it says, I think it's uh, aged at least three years. So the BBC product in, in the first run of United is three years old, but all the Sagamore stuff is four. However, going into next year, everything will be at least four and we'll be able to keep consistently holding back barrels to create uh, a little bit older whiskey in the blend as well. And I think it's just going to be kind of like United Bourbon. I think we'll have anywhere in a range of four to six to seven, maybe eight-year-old barrels that'll be able to go into blend. But again, you're looking quite a bit off into the future at that point. Yeah. And who knows, we might be doing a a blend of Mashville's bourbon and rye collide together. (laughs) (laughs) All six. Another United. We got to figure out what color that United is going to be. It's just going to be like a great rainbow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of thinking back about the flavor pocket that the United bourbon has compared to the United rye, it made me wonder, you know, if there is any through line that you will have that says like, this is aside from, you know, the 108 proof, what it seems like you stuck with, you know, is there a through line for what makes a United product? You know, when, when there's the bourbon, everything else just kind of speculation or, or, you know, maybe we'll do this, but now that you got a bourbon and you have a rye, as you continue, are there any things that you have kind of more established that says this is what's going to define that? You know, because one thing I feel like I notice about both of them is that they have a really great body. They've got, you know, for as balanced and approachable as you say that it is, I feel like it comes off really big. And and I love that. That's one of the things that I look forward to most in a pour is what what's the mouthfeel going to be like. Is, is something like that, or are there any characteristics that just says, these are things that we won't sacrifice to put out a United product? I think for, for what we did, and kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier, is that I'm a very much a kind of a creature to habit. Like, I, I like predictability. 
And I know that what we have right now, especially in the bourbon and the rye, I love them both. And we know exactly where we need to be to tweak them even slightly. And so I want to make sure that we maintain a a consistent uh, as, as many variables that we can control going forward. And so that is by using the same exact distillers, the same exact grain bills, the same exact barrels, aging them in their same exact terroir. So making sure that, yes, even though it would be a hell of a lot easier to go and just have the ride distilled in Maryland and then ship them to Bardstown to go ahead and just start storing them there, well, we're going to go ahead. We're going to keep paying uh, exorbitant storage costs in in downtown Baltimore instead of uh, you know putting them in a farm in Bardstown because we want to make sure we kind of keep that characteristics and, and the character of really what made that rye whiskey and so we'll make sure we you know we'll I think at some point we'll get a CDL, CDL license and we'll start moving barrels ourselves at some point but you know I I do want to make sure that we we maintain that level of quality that. As, at this point, has been come to know to the United brand, and, and we're going to keep that going forward. I don't see a reason why we'd ever falter from that. I mean, I think the cool thing is, is that we started off, I mean, our, our biggest batch we've done so far was 40 barrels, and that is probably going to be the smallest batch we, we ever, well, actually to say the smallest batch was probably the United Rye we just did, but that's going to be the smallest batch from here on out. It's going to, uh, next year, it's going to triple. The year after that, it's going to double after that. And, and I know that you know, the cool thing about being able to do that is that we get to taste through the entire process. So the barrels that are going into them, uh, the blend before it's bottled, everything like that. So at least we can be a part of the quality control from start to finish. Yeah, it's, yeah, we, we want to, I mean, the fun thing with having the three different mash bills and, or I guess six different, but is we can play and add and tweak, but the bases, like you said, the base on these, Brian, are so good um, that I don't want to stray away from that. And we can, and and I love the flavor profiles of both of these. Now, you know, there's there's things we can improve on, and we're going to learn, and we're going to have to learn how to do this at a bigger scale to try to make it more consistent. And that's going to be, you know, a learning process. But yeah, we're 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 trying to make it as similar as possible, and then where we'll what will be fun is having, you know, a lot of single barrels to offer to in the future. Cause we're holding stuff back, you know, and where you can pick the component that you like, you know, and do that as a single barrel, you know, and to, you know, we're having an event next year with our, you know, Patreon people and we get to show them, you know, each individual component as it is and let them see, you know, this is what the base tastes like. This is what we add in this. Is it. Now we won't give them the exact percentages, but we'll, we'll at least, give them an idea of, you know, each component. And so that's, what's fun about this is what there's some different variables, but we're trying to use all those variables and make it as consistent as possible, but also throw some flair in there too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Always got to have a little bit of flair. <laughs> Just whatever I'm feeling that, whatever I'm feeling that, that month, you know, when we're bottling, you know, right before we go to dump, it's like, all right, this is the one for batch three or four, you know, whatever. And then Kenny will be like, nope. <laughs> That doesn't align with the spreadsheet. Don't do it. Guys, I appreciate you jumping on and talking a little bit about the rye product. I look forward to down the line when we get to talk about our our toasted uh, wheat whiskey that that you're inevitably <laughs> going to have out or, you know, your 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 triple charred chocolate malted rye bourbon whiskey, you know, all those fun things coming down the line. Oh, man. I wish we had enough money to burn and throw around at, at stuff like that, but... It's just one of those things. I I I I know what I like. I know where we need to be. And yeah, there's 
I, if we don't own a still either, so anything that we mess around with, it's just us throwing money at it and, and see what yeah, happens. It's, right. It's 300 barrel minimum, and that's an expensive minimum right, <laughs> for us. So, uh, yeah, we'll be buying, uh, we'll still be doing the fun stuff, sourcing, you know, with the Pursuit series. So we'll have fun one off single barrels always to offer. But for these United, these are going to, whatever we got in on the books right now, that's going to be it moving forward. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Reminder to email us at podcast at pursuitspirits.com. If you all have topic ideas, questions for the guys you want to have on the show, I'd love to hear about it so we can bring some of those topics to you all. Until next time, everybody. We'll see you all later. 